Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, February 6th, 2023. On the show today, news, listener questions, and surveys, including Disneyland's first ever guest survey. Then in our main segment, Jim tells us about the time Disneyland switched to a seven-day-a-week operating schedule. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that when you're in a bad mood, ask yourself, is this a real problem, or do I just need to eat something with melted cheese? It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len, but let's not get ahead of ourselves here, Len. The, the day that we, as Americans, are supposed to celebrate all things involving melted cheese, that's Wednesday, April 12th, National Grilled Cheese Day. Oh, all right. Well, I know what's for lunch on that day. Okay. And on the other hand, on the day this show goes live, Monday, February 6th, it's both National Chopstick Day and International Frozen Yogurt Day. So, you want to do something especially challenging today? Why not? <laughs> there you go. Why not combine these two holidays and try exactly. to eat your frozen yogurt with a chopstick? It might be doable depending on how frozen it gets, but, uh, but good luck, folks. Go. Let's know how there it goes. You go. I, I want proof, though. I send photos, folks. We'd, I'd love to see that. So. You got like a windmill effect going with the, uh, with the chopsticks, I guess. <laughs> All right. I Jim, before we get started, let me do a quick shout-out to our friends Gary Zarelli, Jim Corcus, and BioReconstruct, who are all on the mend. Jim and I hope you all feel better soon. And yeah. in totally unrelated news, folks, porcupines make terrible house pets. <laughs> Jim, let's do shout-out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Rody Mary, Baron Von Reed, and Jay Freelack, and longtime subscribers Daniel Bell, Kevin Hollywood, Mindy Whitco, and Rich Grafton. Jim, these are the Disney cast members who manage the Hollywood Tower Hotel at Disney's Hollywood Studios, which, as you recall, is an actual functioning hotel. They say that too much attention gets focused on the hotel's bulky elevators, which, quote, can be temperamental sometimes, quote, and they hope Disney's next advertising focuses on the Tower Hotel's fret bed linens and award-winning Sunday brunch omelet bar. True story. Always startled what I learned. In you know, it's point. all about the elevators, never about the omelet bar, Jim. And, and from a hotel manager's perspective, it's got to hurt. It's got to uh, hurt. That's got to hurt. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, to Jim, Epcot has announced performers for the Garden Rocks concert series mm -hmm. during the Flower and Garden Festival. The new acts include Blue Oyster Cult, and Jim, my comment there is, there goes Tokyo Dining. <laughs> <laughs> Three people will get that. That's fine. Okay. Sabado, right. uh, Sabado Gigante's own Luis Figueroa, mm -hmm. the Colombian pop group Piso 21, and Christian rock bands Switchfoot and Casting Crowns. Also, Jim, AJ Croce, playing uh, his own songs and those of his dad, which, if I remember my 1970s music, is a man named Leroy Brown. Keep your feet on the ground, AJ, and keep reaching for the stars. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, longtime favorites, Rick Springfield, May 28th and 29th. Cool in the gang, April 30th and May 1st. And Flock of Seagulls, April 21st and 22nd. Jim, I think the wise move there is to get Flock of Seagulls in before the humidity <laughs> sets in for the summer because of the hairspray involved. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> or the, the, the ozone layer will suffer, Okay. It's funny. I was uh, I was going through this uh, the concert list with Laurel, like trying to see how many you know people 
she knew by name only because there's some you know some people in there it's like you know Bob Smith former lead singer of whatever mm-hmm. and uh, Laurel we got to Rick Springfield Laurel's like I would go see Rick Springfield and she said it in a way that was like I would gladly give mm-hmm. a kidney to go see Rick Springfield at Epcot May 28th and 29th so I may be down for that one you never know okay well I, 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 I have to warn you Nancy has been to see Rick Springfield a number of times over the past four and five years and and I when I mentioned this date, I know there's a plane ticket being purchased in <laughs> her eyes glow over. She gets a faraway look. There you go. So. <laughs> Starts talking about General Hospital. I get it. I yes. Understand. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know the. I know the the signs. Okay. All right, uh, Jim. Speaking of concerts, I'm going to the opening night of Taylor Swift's Eras Tour next month in Glendale, Arizona, and I know most of Taylor's hits. But if our listeners have suggestions for what should be on my Swifty playlist. To prep for the show, please email me, lenatouringplans.com. Cool. All right, Jim, before we do the next piece of news, I want to ensure that our listeners are in the right headspace to receive it. So if you're having a tough day, Aaron's going to play 10 seconds of some music here for you to fast forward about two minutes. Go, Aaron. Jim, this week, Disney announced the closing of the beloved Trails Inn restaurant over at the Fort Wilderness Campgrounds. And my first reaction, Jim, was, honest to God, every day we stray further from God's light. Oh. <laughs> the Trails Inn buffets were legendary, Jim. It was the first place I ever saw all-you-can-eat donuts for breakfast. And that's when I realized as an adult, Jim, that no one can stop me from eating all you can eat do- donuts for breakfast. No, honestly, it was a time where I realized, like, I'm an adult mm-hmm. and no one will stop me mm-hmm. from eating all you can eat donuts for breakfast. It was, it was literally in the Trails End restaurant mm-hmm. that I realized that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, the, uh, the dinner buffet included barbecued ribs, mm-hmm. peel and eat shrimp, really good fried chicken, and fruit cobbler every night. Yeah. Mm, Jim, more than one listener that I've mm. talked to, and I'm not making this up, has mm. told me that they stopped dating people who thought that Trails End was eh, just okay. Ooh. Sad, sad moment. This is changing to... It's going to a quick service, which I get. Yeah. You know, we're all on the go, and we want to make the most of our parks time and stuff like that. But, oh, yeah. Jim. Oh. Okay. Yeah, this one was tough. No, it is. It is. All right, Jim, let's do uh, surveys because we haven't mm-hmm. done those in a couple of weeks. Andrew sent in a Disney survey. By the way, happy Monday to everyone listening at Consumer Insights. Mm-hmm. And Jim, <laughs> well, we've seen this question before. I was talking with some folks at the U.S. Bureau mm-hmm. of Labor Statistics about, you know, survey questions in general. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this Disney question. And the question is this. Uh, what was your primary means of transportation to the state of Florida mm-hmm. from your home? And the thing I asked the BLS was, why does Disney want to know this? Because the question isn't, how did you get to Walt Disney World? Mm-hmm. The question is, how did you get to Florida? Ooh, okay. And it turns out, mm-hmm. again, this is all theory, right? Uh, yep. But uh, it turns out that you can derive other information about uh, the visitors, and mm-hmm. specifically their household income, based on mode of transportation. Hmm. So if you, the Bureau of Labor Statistics breaks out its travel spending by household income quintile. Mm-hmm. So bottom fifth, second fifth, middle fifth, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- uh, fourth 20%, and then the top 20%, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they each spend different amounts of money on those modes of transportation. 
So you can figure out based on, uh, you can have a decent guess mm -hmm. based on not only the answer to this question, but if you combine it with a few other questions, you can figure out basically household income without having to ask or get household income from that question. I just, I, I love how they extrapolate information. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. By the way, the, uh, the reason I was talking to the BLS was to get uh, updated data on their consumer expenditures and travel data sets. So mm -hmm. if anyone's interested, I can talk about that in an upcoming show. Cool, it's super cool. interesting. The, um, so the, the top 20% of Americans now by household income mm -hmm. is just over 215000 a year. And the, uh, their travel spending is vastly different than the other 80%. So we can talk about that. As one might expect. So. As you'd expect, exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. Our friend Jason Schultz, uh, who's archivist Jason on Twitter, posted a new Disneyland poll. Well, it's new to us, mm -hmm. but it's actually the first guest satisfaction poll ever done at Disneyland. And Jason has agreed to share the, uh, the photos with us, so we're going to go through them here. Mm -hmm. All right, Jim, this is uh, titled Disneyland Inc., mm -hmm. Customer Relations Division, April 14th, 1960. Yeah. <laughs> and it's guest opinion poll number one mm -hmm. <laughs> for the period April 2nd to April 10th, 1960. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of interesting uh, things on this uh, poll. So there's a... Uh, a header, uh, you know, like a title sheet that says, the attached is the first of a new series of guest opinion polls. Mm -hmm. We hope to furnish these to Walt on a regular basis in the future. Some interesting facts and figures. Uh, repeat visitors have reached an all-time high with 47.5% of those interviewed having visited one or more times. So, Jim, this is less than five years after opening. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we're already at almost 50% repeat visitors. And, and right off the bat, that tells you a lot about what was happening in the immediate area around Disneyland. I mean, that, that thing that eventually came true, that folks from 100 miles away began to regularly visit the happiest place on Earth because they really, really enjoyed it and wanted to show it off to friends and family. There's a couple of other interesting facts here. I'll bring up one of them as we go through it. But the mm -hmm. other one is this. 91.3% uh, of those interviewed mm -hmm. felt they spent the same or less that they expected on visiting Disneyland. Mm -hmm. Also, the uh, Reader's Digest apparently did a story on Disneyland in April of 1960, and 14 guests mentioned that specifically as the reason why they visited, which is kind of interesting because you wouldn't think that Reader's Digest would be the thing mm -hmm. that drove visitors to, uh, to Disneyland, but apparently it was a big thing back in the 60s. Oh, yeah. Well, every home had... Two publications sitting on the, the coffee the coffee table. One was Reader's Digest and one was TV Guide. Oh, yeah. And my grandparents subscribed to Reader's Digest well into the 80s because I remember reading it for, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for the jokes. Yeah. yeah. The condensed books alone. <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly, exactly. And we had those as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Question number one. Have you visited Disneyland before? So mm -hmm. we said 47.5%. Of them had already uh, said yes. If yes, Jim, mm -hmm. how many times? So 112 respondents said mm -hmm. one time. That's 55.7%. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing for me, Jim, is that something like almost 30% of guests mm -hmm. had been to Disneyland three or more times, including mm -hmm. two guests who said 100 times. All right, let's stop talking about my grandfather now, all right? <laughs> I was going to say, we would call this a peer group, Jim. There we go. He was a fine man, a little obsessed. You know, just, okay. Question number two. How did you find the courtesy of the employees? So the interesting thing here is that they were not referred to as cast members at this point. It was employees. 421 out of 423 people 
said favorable. So courtesy was favorable. The interesting thing on this, Jim, this is typewritten. The percentage listed for 421 out of 423 is 199.5%, proving, Jim, <laughs> that, that some mistakes are inevitable no matter how you do it. So 0.5% uh, people said it was unfavorable. Number three, this is a super interesting question. Mm -hmm. 423 people asked this question. Mm -hmm. The question is, would you recommend Disneyland to others? Jim, guess how many people out of 423 said no? Single numbers? Uh, yeah, you could say it's a single number. It's zero. <laughs> Literally all 423 people said they would recommend Disneyland to others. In the history of would you recommend this to a friend, Jim, I don't know that a number has ever been that good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what is it? Four out of five dentists. I mean, it's just sort of yeah. Like, wow. Okay. <laughs> this is not only five out of five dentists. This is four hundred and twenty-three out of four hundred and twenty-three dentists. There you go. Yeah, amazing number. There's literally no question you could ask four hundred and twenty-three people today, and get one hundred percent of them to say the same answer. Absolutely. I don't care if the question is 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 the surface of the sun hot. <laughs> Somebody would say no. Guarantee it, hundred percent. Tepid at best. You know, yeah. No, okay. somebody would say relative to what, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, but you know. Mm -hmm. All right. Question number four. In regard to the cost of your visit, would you say you spent more than expected? And that was only eight point seven percent of guests. Mm -hmm. And then the rest, so ninety one point three percent, said the same or less than expected. And to break that out, uh, sixty two point nine percent call it sixty three said same as expected. So roughly two out of three. Mm -hmm. And then twenty eight percent said less than expected. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Question number five. Mm -hmm. Do you feel you received your money's worth? Mm -hmm. 417 people said yes. That's 98.6%. Mm -hmm. Six people said no. And Jim, so few people said no. I love the follow-up here. That they asked them mm -hmm. why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had tickets left over. Mm -hmm. Some rides were too expensive. Many rides were closed. And the lines were too long. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Lines too long, rides too expensive. Had tickets left over is kind of interesting because it's like you couldn't find, in 1960, mm -hmm. you couldn't find enough things to do with your tickets in Disneyland? It's one of those things where, you know, it's the A, B, C, D tickets, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did we have e-tickets at that point? I want to say the Matterhorn had just opened I, in 59, I, so. Maybe? Uh, yeah, I guess we did. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's one of these things where I got an A left. Well, did you ride the Omnibus? <laughs> it's yeah. Like, eh. So. Oh, that's true. It could have been an A, right? Okay. Uh, fair, fair. I, you know, I, I'm thinking, Jim, though, you know, if somehow if the technology from Quantum Leap, mm -hmm. the reboot, comes back to life, and I find myself in Disneyland in 1960, you would, the police would have to drag me out. Yeah. Like, I'll tell you right now, I'm not going of my own volition. I am not leaving the park, right? Mm -hmm. Things will happen. I'll need to find a lawyer. I'm just saying. Okay. All right. Okay. Question number six. Mm -hmm. Did you eat at Disneyland today? 80%, 337 said yes, 20% said no. If yes, how was the food? 90% mm -hmm. said good, 9% said fair, and 1% said poor. And uh, they noted here that eight mm -hmm. of the 337 guests ate at more than one place. You know, there's someone, Jim, these days saying we've got to boost that number. Now, this is during the time when a lot of the concessions at Disneyland are not actually operated by Walt. They're op operated by right. ABC Paramount. They were right. part of that deal to the American Broadcasting Company provided both seed money and guaranteed some loans for the park, but they got this concession. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until 64, 65, where Walt finally got 
the Plaza Inn. He built a re restaurant that the way he wanted it built because, frankly, what was driving Walt crazy, especially on, on Sundays, was to watch that steady stream of people who would head out of Disneyland at 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon because on their way home back to L.A., they were going to stop at Knott's and have a chicken Knott's, <laughs> Knott's for some fried chicken. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So. It's funny. When you and I are planning a, a, a trip in March to mm -hmm. Disneyland, and honest to God, one of the things I looked at uh, because we're driving to Disneyland, is like, could we stop off at Knott's and get some fried chicken? That's, we're we're going to do that <laughs> if we're in, in somehow land. So. <laughs> All right. Next question. Uh, have you seen or heard any Disneyland advertising? Mm -hmm. So 92% said yes. And the follow-up question is, if yes, where? So television, Jim, 38%. That's kind of understandable with mm -hmm. the uh, world of color and everything like mm -hmm. that. The next highest category, you want to take a guess? Uh, print? Word of mouth from friends, 16%. Um, okay. And you know, yeah, there you go. So that's that's mm -hmm. a good sign right there. Um, yep. Then billboards right after that. Mm -hmm. Newspapers, radio, I don't remember. And okay. then magazines, Reader's Digest, things mm -hmm. after that. Yeah. Uh, amazingly, 0.2%, so one person, said they heard about Disneyland at the YMCA. <laughs> wow. You're there tying your sneakers. And, hey, we had a good time there last weekend. So, oh. <laughs> Okay. Also, uh, two people said uh, they didn't hear about Disneyland from friends. Mm -hmm. They heard about Disneyland from relatives. So you got because Jim, you got to keep your friends and your family separate. <laughs> <laughs> Rules to live by, land. <laughs> All right. Question number eight: What type of work does the head of the family do? Mm -hmm. uh, so they broke it down here into seven categories. The mm -hmm. first one is skilled. Mm -hmm was just under 27%. Mm -hmm. uh, then white-collar jobs, 25%. Professional, 20%. Mm -hmm. Armed services, 10%. Mm -hmm. Unskilled, 9%. Retired, 8%. And then student was about half a percent. I would love to see this distribution I, I, now. I, I just, I, I love survey work from the 60s. It, it just, we <sighs> looked at the world differently. Well, because the armed services were probably a much larger percentage of the oh, U.S. Well, employed I, I, population. Especially in Southern California. In fact, Robert Darcy's book about the early, early days of Disneyland, he talks about how the number of folks who actually worked at the park who were Marines from just down the road, who this was their job on the weekends. They'd come and work at the park, let alone bring their friends there to visit. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah, 10%. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, Jim, next question, question mm -hmm. number nine. Are you a resident of California? So the overall answers were 55% yes, 45% no. The interesting thing is it jumps up to 62% yes mm -hmm. on weekends, Saturday and Sunday. Now, you'd think that the, I would think the opposite of that would be true because on weekends, people can travel. Mm -hmm. But it looks like locals are coming in on weekends. Yeah, well, that's the thing that they learned very, very quickly about who was coming to Disneyland. And in fact, if you think about the programs they started up like date night or Disneyland, or for that matter, mm -hmm. grad night. You know, just the notion right, of, right. hey, let the, the locals love to come back to the park. Let's give them reasons. And on weekday guests, mm -hmm. so here, Jim, uh, Disneyland was only open Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Mm -hmm. So not Monday and Tuesday. And this ties into our mm -hmm. talk for uh, later does. on today. 56% mm -hmm. um, were from outside the state of California, mm -hmm. and 44% were from inside the state of California. So the numbers actually flipped 
yeah. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Interesting. Well, you know, again, those are the, the people who have made a point of traveling to Disneyland as part of the trip to Southern California. And you mentioned Southern California, and that leads us into the next question. Mm-hmm. What percentage of the guests were from north of Bakersfield, California, mm-hmm. and which percent were south? And Jim, why would they pick Bakersfield? Do you remember there was a television show in the 80s, The Greatest American Hero with, with Robert Culp? Believe it or not, Here we go. I'm walking. Yeah, yeah, All right. And do you remember how Robert Culp's special agent character, whenever they had to meet with the aliens, said, oh, God, we got to go all the way to Bakersfield. <laughs> <laughs> it's, was it the population... Center? More to the point. Was it the center of the population? Really remote land. You know, it just was like Bakersfield. God, you got to schlep all the way to Bakersfield. So it was out there. So it's it's an interesting for them to select it as a demarcation point. But again, you know, the very fact that, you know, again, as part of Greatest American Hero, they they used to talk about how remote Bakersfield was. Yeah. So. Bakersfield is sort of like the 30th parallel for, there we <laughs> for go. Disneyland. There we All go. Right, so below, so below Bakersfield, you've got LA, mm. you know, mm. uh, San Diego, yep. you know, Anaheim and stuff like that. Yep. North of Bakersfield, you've got San Jose, San Francisco, Sacramento. Yeah. Good, good, good. Maybe that is. Maybe that was the dividing line back then of the population. Anyway, interesting thing there. Mm-hmm. 24% mm-hmm. came from north of Bakersfield mm. and 76% came from south of Bakersfield. Yep. So, you know, Bakersfield is 138 miles north of Anaheim. So, I, I kind of get that, but uh, it means that they're drawing from Southern California. Mostly. Mostly. But again, this, yeah. is, this is one of the reasons you do this survey work. Do we? Right. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah. There we go. Out-of-state guests, where did they come from? Uh, no surprise, I guess. Uh, New York, mm-hmm. number one on that list, 8.7% of guests or 14. Then Illinois, Michigan, Washington State, and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. The states that bring up the bottom of the list... The bottom five, Louisiana, New Mexico, Tennessee, Utah, and Wyoming. My guess is Utah is a much larger component of Disneyland than now. There were 11 foreign countries represented in the survey. Mm -hmm. Canada, number one at 16. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then Mexico, Australia, Germany, Hong Kong, Switzerland, Portugal, France, Brazil, Sweden, and South Africa. Mm -hmm. The approximate age of the adults, 37. Mm -hmm. The uh, average age of the women, 38.3. Their average length of stay, this is question number 11, Mm -hmm. is just under five hours. And then the last question, Jim, miscellaneous comments of guests. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go through all of them because they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. First one was, uh, more direction signs needed on the highway. Yeah, Walt, get on that. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're proud to entertain guests at Disneyland. I guess this was a corporate Mm -hmm. sponsor. The food portions at the Red Wagon were too large. Those folks at Swift, come on, one more sausage, cram it down. <laughs> exactly. Uh, how do you keep Disneyland so clean? Mm-hmm. You should have ramps for wheelchairs. You could say that now about Disneyland Paris. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The baby station is wonderful. Mm-hmm. There were no strawberries in the ice cream. Okay, so Jim, <laughs> here's my question for my follow up question for this person. Yep is to slide my glasses down my nose a little bit and say, really? <laughs> Well, you want me to write this down for all posterity? It's the classic, the, the person who complains if they're hung with a new rope. All right, you, you got to find 
got to find something to complain about. <laughs> All right. Okay. My, this is what happens when you ask the general public questions, there right? We go. Mm-hmm. All right. Next one was, uh, my visit has been the greatest experience ever. Okay. So, right. so this is now burying the needle. <laughs> it was the best of times. Okay. It was the worst of times. Okay. okay. It, 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 things balance wait, out, Jim. Wait a minute. The birth of your child, the day you get married. I don't know. Disneyland. It's like, okay. Disneyland. That's it. Okay. All right. The drinking water is cold, but hard to get. It needs more pressure. Fair. Okay. That's actually not a bad comment in the overall scheme of things. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. The food was extra good. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the next one. I didn't like the food. Okay. The employees are just great. Mm-hmm. And of course, the opposite. Mm-hmm. One employee on the train was not too courteous. Mm-hmm. And the ice cream boy was not happy like other employees. Well, there you go. I mean... <laughs> Think about that poor kid sitting there. Oh, God, another person's going to ask about the no strawberry. I can't live with myself. I read the thing about the ice cream boy, and I was like, you know, the chimney sweeps don't seem too happy today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Between the coughing, they look just miserable. <laughs> there you go. Please, sir, I want the some more. ice cream boy was not happy like other employees. All right. I think I might get a t-shirt made <laughs> with this exact quote <laughs> and wear it to Disneyland. There we go. There we go. So, by the way, could be a coincidence, but do you know what Tony Baxter's very first job was when he was hired at Disneyland before he came became in? Oh, please tell me it was Ice Cream Boy. There we go. All right. Oh, the next time I see Tony, I have a story for okay. him. Okay. There we go. <laughs> All right. All right, so we got time to do some listener questions. Mm-hmm. Let's do them. Here's one from Carrie. He says, uh, hello and Jim. Uh, our family sadly cannot join you on the Star Cruiser. That's in March. But our trip will be in the same time frame as yours, mm-hmm. which leads me to this question. This is our first trip during spring break, and we thought with the increased attendance at the parks, it might be a good idea to explore the Animal Kingdom Lodge where we're staying. I looked up activities online, and it seems a few years ago there were tons of things to enjoy there. But based on what I'm seeing, many of those are not currently available. Could you give me an idea on whether some of the Savannah experiences and tours will be coming back and which activities you might know about as alternatives? Love the show and thanks. All right. So uh, this is interesting because I uh, was just at the Animal Kingdom Lodge, Carry. They do have the activities, but it's probably not posted online because the events will vary with things like occupancy and you know weather and stuff like that. Um, but there are tons of things to do. Uh, at the resort, there are activities basically every hour, every 90 minutes throughout the day. I would say stop by the front desk and ask for the recreation calendar uh, when you get there. So there's all kinds of stuff from Savannah experiences to arts and crafts. Um, they start at 9 o'clock and they go late, late into the uh, into the night. The other thing you might want to look at is um, there's also some outdoor activities over by the pool. So starting around like 1 o'clock and going until you know, middle of the evening, like 7.30. Mm-hmm. Basically, every hour, there are um, there are activities at the pool as well. So if it's nice mm-hmm. and you want to get some sun and some, some pool time in, there's definitely activities there as well. But yeah, inside the lodge, if it's raining or you don't feel like, um, you know, going out in the sun or whatever, every hour, there'll be stuff to do. Just to ask for the recreation calendar when you get there. And while we're touching on Animal Kingdom Lodge, which we think of Animal Kingdom, a recent show I mentioned that the magic of uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom had come back uh, season two on Disney Plus and talked about how it it was cool that friend of the show, Josh Gad, uh, was continuing Mm -hmm. on his gig as narrator on the show and had one of our listeners write in and and correct me, uh, the effect of 
Josh didn't come back for season two. There's a, a young lady called Tasha Johnson who's now narrating oh, cool. the show. Though Josh reached out in the past week and was was all excited about Chrissy's story with the blueprints uh, for Morocco. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's. Oh, you, you know, mentioned that he was pumping me for information about this. So again, you know, I, I sent it out back to to him and his lovely daughters, uh, Ava and Isabella, who I guess listened to the show with Dad. So hi, girls. But yeah, you know, you know Chrissy, you know, <laughs> keep wandering around Morocco. Josh Gad needs info. So it was interesting you mentioned that because Chrissy saw a film crew. In Morocco last week. Okay. So we've seen now two groups of Imagineers with plans, Mm -hmm. laser pointers, and measuring devices, and now a film crew in Morocco. Something's going on, Chip. Something's going going on. on. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Here's an email from Holly who says, uh, about the survey question from Disney, asking guests to estimate the total they spent on the trip. Mm -hmm. I think you and Jim forgot that, believe it or not, Mm There are still people in the world who pay for things with cash. And don't forget gift cards. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Crazy talk, Holly. Crazy talk. (laughs) When I go to Disney, I pay for almost all of my food and merch with cash or gift cards Mm -hmm. that are not linked to MD, meaning Disney would have no way of tracking that spending. (laughs) I just had to send you a note because I was yelling at the podcast as you guys puzzled over why Disney doesn't already know exactly how much everyone spends. Holly, I think everyone yells at the podcast when they're talking, but thank you for explaining why you yelled at (laughs) it. That's the reason why Holly... Yells at the podcast, Jim. <laughs> By the way, also worth noting, in additional gift cards and money, uh, you know, or cash, there is, of course, barter. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. been interesting watching the people around property with Splash Mountain toys lately. It's like, how much are these? How much? <laughs> how, many, <laughs> how many French fries? We're going to talk about Splash Mountain now for a second. All right. Okay. You saw the, the thing on eBay about people selling the water yeah. plastic bags full of mm-hmm. Splash Mountain water. Yep. And some of them were going for up to $100. And mm-hmm. so I decided to, just because I had nothing better to do one Sunday night, Jim, I emailed one of the sellers and I asked for a certificate of authenticity mm-hmm. for the Splash Mountain water and never heard back. And I'm a little disappointed on that. Like, do you have video of yourself actually scooping this water into the bag so that I know <laughs> no. that it's actual Splash Mountain water? There we go. There we go. Anyway. I, though, I, this is, in a weird sort of way, kind of a, a tradition. I mean, I remember talking yeah. with Bruce Gordon, uh, who, as a child, built a plaster Paris model of Disneyland's uh, Jungle Cruise at home and insisted that once he completed it, the only way it would be truly authentic is if he had Jungle Cruise water. So he snuck a carton from his school. You know how you used to get that teeny tiny like pint thing of yeah, milk? Yeah, a little pint, yeah. He pint snuck of milk, it yeah. into Disneyland, rode the Jungle Cruise, and when, when the, the skipper was preoccupied, dipped it in and then get, get, carefully carried it home for his plaster Paris model. Avoiding, of course, the cost of getting somebody to, to you know, there was no eBay back then, but I bet, I bet you would have paid a pretty penny. So my question for Bruce mm-hmm. the next time we see him mm-hmm. is going to be this. Was that the first or the last thing he did during the day, during his <laughs> visit to Disneyland? Because if it was the first thing, he's carrying it around all day. And me, Jim, I would forget and I would get thirsty <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, let me have a swig of milk. And then, <laughs> you know, in, end up in the hospital four hours later with oh, some oh. case of, you know, weird dysentery that no one's ever seen. Given the color they used to dye the river or still do. Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> that, that, that's how I end up with a disease named after me. All right. Last uh, email is from Andrew, mm-hmm. who says, I was listening to Christina's story about tipping at Alani, mm-hmm. and it is absolutely true that cast members have to refuse tips three times. Mm-hmm. I worked at the World of Disney at Disney Springs, and the coordinator there 
would have me be a door greeter. Mm -hmm. I love doing this position because a DJ plays most nights on the stage in front of the store, and I was notorious for wearing Mickey ears and shaking what my mama gave me Mm -hmm. in front of my ECV scooter. During Christmas, as I was busting a move, a man came up and put $60 into my hands. He ran off before I could refuse it. Mm -hmm. I told my manager, who was actually dumbfounded, that I actually willingly reported the cash. The managers huddled together and let me use that $60 to buy toys for our Toys for Tots drive from the store. Super neat experience. Oh, that's great, Andrew. That's also, great I need story. video of you dancing now. So, you know. Yeah. All right, Jim, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, you and I are going to talk about the first time Disneyland went to a seven-day-a-week operating schedule. So it got super, super cold this past weekend up here in New England, like 30 below cold, which is why a water pipe up in my mom's attic first froze and then burst. Okay, so after we get that pipe repaired, I'm up in my mom's attic and I come across this now sopping cardboard box full of photos, which show this young kid in uniform and he appears to be in some sort of marching band. So after I dry these things off, I haul those photos downstairs and I ask my mom, well, well, who's this? And my mom then says, oh, that's your great-grandfather back when he was in that marching band and chowder society. And I was like, marching band and chowder society? They played music while they ate soup? My great-grandfather's dry-cleaning bills must have been astronomical. I mean, I had never heard about this aspect of my great-grandfather's life before, which got me thinking, what other stories don't I know about the history of the Hill family? Which is why I'm glad I got my mom well, a wet dry bag, but also hooked her up with StoryWorth. StoryWorth is this online service that helps you and your loved ones connect through sharing stories and memories and that preserves them for years yet to come. Every week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions you've never thought of, like, what was one of your fondest childhood memories? Or, what's the best advice you've ever received? I really enjoyed reading through my mom's responses to these questions. There's stories and memories here that I've never heard before. Like how, when my mom was a teenager and out visiting family in Indiana one summer, she reportedly saw this large, cigar-shaped object hovering out over a cornfield. Sadly, mom didn't get a picture of whatever that was. But if she had, Storyworth would have then taken that photo and folded it in with all of the other stories and memories that she shared, which would then be placed in a beautiful keepsake book that the whole family could then enjoy and share for generations yet to come, which I bet my mom will put out on display in her living room uh, once water stops dripping down from the attic, I mean. So get to know your loved ones better and preserve those special moments forever with StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash Disney Dish. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash Disney Dish to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. February starts with the letter F. And do you know what other word starts with the letter F? No, not that word. Get your mind out of the gutter, pal. Me personally, I can think of at least two more words that begin with the letter F that are also not that word. And they are frugal and funds. And if one of your goals for 2023 is to keep a far closer watch on what you're spending, be more frugal with your funds... Well, then let me ask you a question. Do you actually know how much all of your subscriptions cost per month? 
I mean, most Americans think that they're only spending around $80 on subscription each month when the actual total is a lot closer to 200 And if you don't know how much exactly you're spending every month on subscriptions, well, then you need Rocket Money. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Which is a really great tool to have at your disposal, given that uh, over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. Like that streaming service you bought to watch just the one show on, or that free trial that you never even used. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you, so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. Simply find the subscriptions you don't want and press cancel, and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Me personally, I use Rocket Money all the time to keep tabs on the various subscriptions I have. When I'm researching stories for Disney Dish, I'll often sign up for temporary access to some newspaper or magazine's online archive, and Rocket Money helps me quickly identify the ones I'm no longer using and then shut that no longer needed subscription down. So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash Disney Dish. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash Disney Dish. I feel like I'm repeating myself. Rocketmoney.com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. T.S. Eliot, in his poem, The Wasteland, once famously said that April is the cruelest month. Well, no disrespect to the 1948 winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature, but February can be pretty dang cruel as well, especially right after Punxsutawney Phil declares that there's now going to be another six weeks of winter. Hey, seasonal depression, also known as seasonal affect disorder, is a very real thing, people. And if you find yourself feeling bogged down or overwhelmed this time of year, maybe working with a therapist will help you get back on track, feeling like your best self. I mean, there were times, especially right after my first marriage ended and I was back up here in New England while my then two-year-old daughter was 6,000 miles away in Hawaii. Well, let's just say I was not in a happy place. But because friends and family suggested that I get some therapy, I then learned the positive coping skills that helped me get through that dark, dark time. And now I, I have a wonderful relationship with my soon-to-turn-29-year-old daughter. We're getting together in a few weeks while I'm out in California, and because Alice now makes her living gaming, well, current plan is we'll celebrate our combined birthdays by going over to Universal Studios, Hollywood, and checking out Super Nintendo World. Uh, but enough about me. We're here to talk about you. And if you're seriously thinking about giving therapy a try, well, BetterHelp is a great option. By that I mean, BetterHelp is convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. And to get started, all you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire, which BetterHelp will then use to match you with a licensed therapist. And if you two don't click for any reason, well, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. Look, if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy will get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DisneyDish today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P 
Disney.com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. Jim, we mentioned in our survey talk that Disneyland used to not be open every day. And I think we all kind of knew this, but it's actually well known in the culture, right? There are there are famous people who have made reference to this elsewhere, right? They have. They have. In fact, this year we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of the release of National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, Warner Brothers released this Harold Ramis movie in two theaters back in July of 1983. What's your favorite quote from the movie, Jim? I am a longtime John Candy fan. So, you know, <laughs> sorry, folks, park's closed. The moose up front should have told you. <laughs> you know, it's like... I'm going to go with, and yay, though the Hindus speak of karma, Lord, I implore you, give this woman a break. <laughs> which, which, Jim, has to be part, whichever one of us dies first, okay. the other one has there to I use go. that I line during the eulogy. I get it. I, all I ask is that, you know, on the hearse, I don't, don't put me in the room. Okay. All right, good. Anyway, John Hughes uh, adapted his own short story, uh, Vacation 58, which ran in National Lampoon's magazine less than four years earlier. It was in the September 1979 issue. And the key differences is for, between Vacation 58 and National Lampoon's Vacation is the movie follows the Griswold family on their epic journey to Wally World, whereas the oh, short right. story that Hughes wrote follows an unnamed family to a different theme park, the actual Disneyland in Anaheim. And to remove any doubt, I now quote the opening line from John Hughes' Vacation 58. If Dad hadn't shot Walt Disney in the leg, it would have been our best vacation ever. <laughs> Jim, that's got to rank up there with Call Me Ishmael for we best go. opening lines. I mean, <laughs> it was a dark and stormy night. If Dad hadn't shot Walt Disney in the leg, oh, that's brilliant. It, All no, right. It's, 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 it's a great. It's true, though. The opening is the hardest part of writing anything. There you go. And if you get it right, mm -hmm. everything flows from that. Oh, yeah. That just captured your your imagination. Yeah, I mean, you're in. You're, you're in. committed at that point. You've read that one line. You're like, I, I got to see where this goes. But here's the thing. As the Griswolds arrive at Wally World, after that harrowing cross-country journey, they discover that America's favorite fun park is closed for two weeks for cleaning and to make repairs. And mm. John Hughes, who was an advertising executive at the time, this is the first story he writes for National Lampoon. He discovered that the real Disneyland from 1958 through 1985, 27 years, Len, it would close two days a week during the slower times of year. And, and it's, to be specific, Monday and Tuesdays in the fall and early winter, as well as the late winter and early spring. But again, just want to stress your differences. Real world, two days a week versus two weeks each year. February 6, 1985, the Disneyland Park formally switches to a seven-day-a-week operating schedule. That's just four months after Michael Eisner becomes Disney's new CEO, and that's part of his effort to make the parks as profitable as possible, which land is a trifle ironic because in December of 58, Disneyland deliberately switched over to an open five days a week during the off-season, in an effort to get Anaheim's operating costs under control. Uh, but okay, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Everybody knows Disneyland opens in July of 1955. But what we kind of take for granted these days is that this sort of thing hadn't existed before, the, this sort of family fun park. And 
we were just talking about on the earlier part of the show with the the Disneyland series about the ticket system that, that people would have leftover tickets for Disneyland, the A, B, C, D tickets. But Len, that those ticket books didn't get instituted at the park till October '55. Prior to that, if you wanted to go on an attraction at Disneyland, I mean, first you bought your admission at the front of the park, and then when you came inside and said, "Okay, let's go on the Peter Pan ride," it was like, "All right, go over there, stand in line at the ticket booth, wait till you get to the window, hand the person cash." They will then give you the number of tickets that you want to purchase. You then hike over to the actual physical attraction. You then hand your tickets to the ticket taker at the top of the queue. And only then could you queue up. It sounds like trying to buy bread in Soviet Russia. What was especially frustrating for Walt is that that first three months of press coverage for Disneyland, this came up a lot. And, and... The, mm. the narrative that started to get out there about, boy, going to Disneyland is expensive. You're constantly reaching for your for your wallet. And Walt did not care for this at all. And he literally turned to the guys operating the park and figure this out. We have to fix this. I don't want this level of bad publicity. And three months, three months after Disneyland gets up and running, they come up with the ticket book idea. And they, they not only have they come up with the idea, they've got them printed, they're selling them at the gate. So you only have to open your wallet the once and you have, you know, the 10 tickets to go into the park or 15 tickets, you know, for attractions once you, you enter the park. And, you <clears> know, <throat> that whole feeling of I'm constantly reaching for my wallet goes away. Yeah. And if you think about the difference between Walt Disney running Disneyland back in 55 and you think about what's going on at the Disney company these days with lightning lane. Yeah. Mm. Right. I mean, that came online October 21st and you and I both know from the surveys we've read on the show, how hugely unpopular that system is. And Disney knows this. But oh, sure, yeah. If, think about what just happened this past holiday season. Think about how, in the press these days, that narrative about how expensive it's gotten to go to yep. Disneyland these days, or for that matter, how, how many people in the middle class are, are thinking, wow, you know, can I afford to take my family to uh, you know, uh, that resort these days? I mean, Jim, going, going back to question number four in the survey we just read, yep. 90% of people said... They spent the same or less than they expected to spend mm. in Disneyland in 1960. Yeah. I would, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Jim, mm-hmm. and say that if we asked people who visited a Disney theme park today yeah. whether they spent the same or less than expected, 90% of them would not say no. yes. They would not. Yeah, no. They would not. And, and especially on the heels of what happened this holiday season where Disney actually mm-hmm. – jacked up the prices of lightning lane you know it started at 15 it went to 20 and now it's at like 22 right anyway back to disneyland closing on mondays and tuesday off season so when did this practice start i actually dug down in fact i was back over at the wonderful disney doc site and they have a a copy of the 1958 edition of the walt disney productions annual report and the letter from roy disney in this publication published on December 23, 1958, reads Mm -hmm. that while the gross income of Disneyland was greater this year than in any prior year, the operating expenses of this family fun park were likewise up substantially, primarily due to two factors. 
operating a seven-day-a-week schedule through the 1957-1958 week, uh, you know, versus a six-day-a-week schedule the year before. And then sure. uh, there was also increased costs due to rising salaries and the inauguration of a 40-hour work week. Now, reading between the line here, what this says is that Disneyland in its second year of operation, the folks down in Anaheim experimented with keeping Walt's Family Fun Park open six days a week during the slower right. time of years, which I'm told resulted in all sorts of angry people out at the entrance of the parking lot who had driven down to Anaheim uh, for the day only to find it closed. This is the uh, the John Hughes scenario. There we go. All right. In, so In real life again. So for the third year, the Disneyland stays open seven days a week all year long, which turns out to be a problem during the, the off-season, given that there were days in the late fall, early spring where there were actually more cast members working in the park than there were guests coming through the turnstile, which explained this line in the 58 annual report. This current year, we are operating the park during the winter months on a five-day schedule with resulting savings and operation costs and the hope that a full week's worth of business can be compressed within those five days. And what were the five days, that, or what were the two days that they were closed? Was well, it Monday, Tuesday? They were closed on Monday and Tuesday. And hmm. Walt learns that not only is there a cough savings, but those two days proved to be so valuable when it comes to doing projects of size inside the park. In fact, oh, sure, yeah. You know, one of the reasons, for example, Matterhorn Mountain basically flew up out of the ground is that, you know, for the late fall, early winter, and likewise the late uh, winter, early spring of 58, 59, they could get in the parks on Mondays and Tuesdays and really slap up that steel, which is why, if you think about what opened the summer of 59, you had those three huge attractions. You had the Matterhorn, you had the subs, and you had the monorail. And, and, and all of that was largely achieved on the back that, well, Disneyland was closed two days a week for a lot of that time, and they could really do some some amazing construction during that period. Well, not only not only the, the two days it was closed, mm -hmm. but from the time that the park closed Sunday night mm -hmm. until the time the park closed Wednesday morning, there it was more like go. 60 hours. There we go. I mean, you, you gained a lot of time. It's 12, 12 more hours, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. If we jump ahead to the 59 annual report... Letter from Roy Disney it says, again this year, as in every year since Disneyland first opened in 55, new records were set for total attendance and per capita spending by guests. And the change oh. to a five-day operating schedule during the 58-59 winter season from a seven-day schedule, in effect, the previous year has worked out very well. Uh, reduced mm. operating hours helped control operating costs in the face of increased wage rates and other rising costs. We do have to talk about the Disneyland Hotel. Oh, Jack Wagner's place. That's it, exactly. Mr. Mr. Rather, who, <laughs> who Walt went to in the spring of 55 because, look, I need a hotel next to my park and no one else will pay for it. And, and please, Jack, I'm begging you. And Rather relented and built his hotel. And then Walt goes and closes the park two days a week. Yeah, I see where the problem is here. Okay. Okay, right. but, but here's the interesting thing. Walt mm. reaches out to Jack rather personally and says, look, this operational change of the park is going to change your bottom line. Don't fret. Yeah. I'm going to make it worth your while. And Walt delivers on that promise. Think about it. 
June of 1961, he extends the Disneyland monorail grill system a full two and a half miles. So this transportation system goes from something that just travels around the theme park to something that rolls right up to the front door of the Disneyland Hotel. Two and a half miles? Isn't that basically Magic Kingdom to Epcot? There we go. Okay. That's that's a hike. Yeah, okay. no, no, All right. absolutely. But no other hotel in Orange County has this perk. <laughs> here's the monorail at Howard Johnson's. No, that's just not going to happen. Yeah, yeah okay. Okay. Yeah. But here's the thing. Walt pays for this. Out of his own pocket. That, that's $1.9 million. And by the way, in 2023 money, that's $19 million. This very same year, 61, Walt has some of his, his staff artists design a miniature golf course that then can be built on the, the Disneyland Hotel grounds. Have you ever seen oh. any images from the, the Magic Kingdom golf course, Len? No, but it sounds delightful, and now I wish I'd seen it. It's Disneyland in miniature. I mean, for example, yeah. hole number three is Sleeping Beauty Castle. Hole number five mm-hmm. is the Matterhorn. As we walk through the rest of the course, you've got the TWA Moonliner, the submarine voyage, the painted desert from uh, Frontierland, uh, what you saw when you, you rode Mine Train, Tom Sawyer's Island, uh, even Skull Rock and Monstro from Fantasyland, and also set up so it could be illuminated at night. So this meant the Magic Kingdom miniature golf course at Disneyland Hotel could be played from 10 a.m. in the morning till 10 p.m. at night, seven days a week. And from the moment the monorail connected to the Disneyland Hotel, that hotel achieved 100% occupancy. Oh, yeah, I'm surprised there's only three towers these days. Well, no, mean. no, 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 no. It, it, that's also <laughs> worth noting that, that even after they go to this five-day-a-week schedule, Jack Rather is suddenly doing so well that in 61, he breaks ground for the next tower, the 11-story oh. Sierra Tower. Which one is that now? Uh, that's the one that came online in September of 62. I, I want to say this is the third tower. The fourth tower, the Bonita, uh, wouldn't come online till tail end of the 60s. By the way, it's also worth noting here that the Disneyland Hotel on those Mondays and Tuesdays during the winter months, with Walt's permission, by the way, offered its guests the opportunity to go to Knott's Berry Farm or uh, when it opened in 64, Universal Studios up in Hollywood. Literally, a gray line bus would pull up in front of the hotel several times a day offering guests round-trip transportation to the Southern, two Southern California uh, attractions. Likewise, wow. the Japanese Village and Deer Park over in Buena Park. Wow. Look, it was a different time. You know, back when Disney prided itself on being a good neighbor and when the mouse didn't have to have all of the money uh, <laughs> when it came to the Southern tourism market. Back then, Disney actually thought, eh, there's plenty to go around. We don't need to be greedy. So, by the way, uh, just to circle back to National Lampoon for a sec, the actual Wally World stuff from that movie, and just so you know, Len, Warner Brothers did, in fact, reach out to Disneyland, and it's like, hey. I'm sure they did, (laughs) yeah, and Disney was like, we want no part of this. There we go, there we go. So, the scenes with Chevy Chase and Anthony Michael Hall running through the parking lot at Disneyland, that was actually shot in the parking lot of Santa Anita Racetrack. It's a horse track in California. But weren't they, didn't they also go on a, they went on a roller coaster with John Candy, right? At they gunpoint. did, <laughs> but that is uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So there you go. That's once upon a time, 
you know, that, that five days a week and only changed February 6th, 1985. Did you ever ask John Candy about this film? When I was working with John on a roadshow many, many moons ago, I think, you know, uh, National Lampoon's vacation was still uh, a year or so away. Um, oh, okay, okay. All right, you know, so it hadn't happened at the time. I, I got to interview John a couple of years later when he was working on Rescuers Down Under for Disney. And uh, to be honest, the topic didn't come up, but I, uh, I should have asked him. Ugh. I should have asked him. Had, had we known it was going to be a, a cultural touchstone. There we go. There we go. Have, uh, would have asked. Uh the things we wish we knew. Yep. Still, great story though. That's that's, that's awesome, and it's a good it's a good tie into a classic movie. Okay. Well, I try, I try, Len. All right, folks, that's gonna do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, I'm riding Tron. In fact, later today over at the Magic Kingdom, so we'll talk all about it on next week's show. And Jim gives us the up and down history of Disney trying to build rides out of robotic arms. What could possibly go wrong with any of this? You could find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, lennettouringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be guest guitarist on the song Cleanest Hands during the release party for Sea Level's new album, Think for Yourself, on Saturday, March 4th, at the Grog Shop on Euclid Heights Boulevard in beautiful downtown Cleveland Heights, Ohio. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.